Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. My sister was 18 years older, so she was in her mid-20s. And she was all of a sudden faced with this dilemma where I was her brother, but then she was having to play a role of a parent. And I don't know if that's what she wanted to do at that particular age. So the reason why I mentioned that is because there was a lot of, I think, regret and resentment that happened because of that particular decision my mom had made. And... Some of those moments put me in situations where I did almost witness my own sister take my mom's life. Mm. I ended up going through a set of very challenging circumstances of sometimes not having a place to sleep, not knowing where my next meal is going to come from. In fact, I can still recall the day when I was living at my sister's apartment and she was sitting by the window 
with our last bowl of food for the day. Last bowl of rice. And I remember I walked into the kitchen crying because I was hungry. She turned around and she started crying. And she handed me that last bowl. So I can, re- I can pinpoint every one of those moments that happened in my life. And I ended up living that life for about five years until I was nine years old. And that's when I decided to take a different trajectory with my life and actually relinquish mm. my parents' rights. So as a nine-year-old kid, I gave up my parents' rights and I became the ward of the state. And I went into an orphanage from nine to 12. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hey, it's Srini. I hope you're liking this episode of The Unmistakable Creative. Did you know that every Sunday, our community manager, Melina, sends out 10 key takeaways from episodes like this one? All you have to do to receive it is sign up for our newsletter. Just visit unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter and you'll get them delivered right to your inbox. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter. Oleg, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. No, thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about your story, uh, not only because you wrote in, but uh, you were telling me just before we hit record here that you've been a longtime listener of the show. Mm-hmm. And when anybody who has been a longtime listener ends up becoming a guest, that to me is one of the most inspiring things because it's taken, what they've done is they've taken everything they've learned and they've applied it to their own life to the point where they just have, you know, brought to the point where they're they're actually a guest. And um, I thought your story was fascinating. I thought it was remarkable. But uh, and so I, with that, I want to start with what I think is a very relevant question. And that is, what is one of the most important things that you learned from one or both of your parents that have shaped and influenced who you've become and what you've done with your life? That's a really fascinating question. And I think the way that I would like to answer that is actually take you to a time when I first came to this country. So my story is that I was adopted from Russia at the age of 12. And for those who may not know much about the adoption process to begin with, 12 years old is actually considered to be at least six years older than what's considered to be old in international adoption. So I ended up being adopted from Russia at 12, came here. I didn't speak any English. I knew very little about this part of the world. In fact, one of the only things that I did know at the time was the name Michael Jordan. True story. Mm -hmm. How I ended up choosing my middle name, Michael, was after him. (laughs) I remember I sat down in the family room of our orphanage in Russia, and it was during one of the times that my mom ended up coming there to visit me. And I remember she pulled out a, a notebook in front of me, and she started to scribble down different names for me to choose before a court date. And she wrote down Walter, Benjamin, James, Michael, and she continued on. And then I stopped her and I said, that's it, Michael. Because at the time, Michael Jordan was the only thing that I knew. And I thought that by picking a name such as the one he had, it would somehow help me immerse into the new culture at a much faster pace. But to answer your question directly, I would have to start off with my dad. And the story there is when I was in sixth grade, my first grade here in the States, because of the fact that I couldn't speak English well, one of the primary ways that I actually communicated with my teachers at school and what I did for at least half of that year was just solve math problems. Math, I think, is the universal language to it all. So I remember I I would sit there in the corner of the classroom and every day I would come in and be given this packet to solve. And the other thing that I learned is universal is color red. So I would solve, I would go back to the teacher and he would use his red pen and cross off things. And I guess it meant that I had to go back to the drawing board and redo the whole problem again. And so I, I remember I was at home doing homework and I was experiencing this problem because at that time I was doing in relatively advanced math because that's all I was doing in school. So I came up to my dad and I asked him if he could help me solve the problem that I was having. But really what I wanted to do at that particular age was for him to 
solve that problem for me, not necessarily teach me how to solve that problem. What he did after that is a principle that I rely on even to this day. And that is, he said, I won't solve it for you, but we can Mm -hmm. solve it together. We sat down, we started to solve the problem. And it was during that time, he had mentioned a phrase that has become a principle of my life. And that is, son, never say you can't do something in life. Two years ago, I asked my mom, how do you remember my dad, your husband? She said, one of the things that I remember about him is that your dad helped me almost eliminate the word can't out of my vocabulary. The message that comes with my mom was, it was my sophomore year after college. I was pursuing my first and only internship. It was for a translation agency in Hamtramck, Michigan. And I remember right before I left our house, I put on the traditional suit and tie. And it was really one of the first times that I wore anything like that, to, especially to a job. So I, I didn't like the concept at all to begin with, which is not a great start when you go into a new work, new work environment. And my mom told me right before I went out the door, she said, son, don't ever sell yourself short. Both of those messages have guided me and have helped me become the person that I am today. Every step of the way, every time I face an adversity, I always rely back on one of those. It's as if their voice is on repeat in my head. At the time, I didn't really acknowledge that it's going to have such a significant impact on me moving forward. But I think that's the beauty of life is that we have a choice in how we live it and which aspects of it that we choose to carry forward throughout this journey. So I noticed that you refer to both uh, adopted parents as your mom and dad. uh, Mm -hmm. And so it makes me wonder, one, about the experience of being given up by your birth mother. What is the sort of story there? What is the relationship? Mm -hmm. I know from having read your bio on your about page, you never saw her again. Um, More Mm -hmm. importantly, what has been the impact of having her leave your life on your relationships with other people? Mm. Once again, that's a really good question. And the story there is that I was born in Russia. I was born in a town called Chubarkul, which is, I believe, in the direction of Kazakhstan. And for the first two to three years, I had a relatively normal upbringing as far as I had a roof over my head. I was living at the time with my birth mom and my sister. My father was not present. There's still some mixed stories as far as who he really is, and whether or not they were married to begin with. And so at at about three to four, maybe even five years old, everything had changed. And what I mean by everything was that my mom ended up becoming an alcoholic, and that is completely changing her trajectory in life from trying to become a nurse to all of a sudden turning to the bottle. What that put us as far as the challenges of that journey was that I I guess my mom ended up going to my sister and she had told her that this child is for you, meaning I was for her to take care of. My sister was 18 years older, so she was in her mid-20s. And she was all of a sudden faced with this dilemma where I was her brother, but then she was having to play a role of a parent. And I don't know if that's what she wanted to do at that particular age. So the reason why I mention that is because there were a lot, there was a lot of, I think, regret and resentment that happened because of that particular decision my mom had made. And some of those moments put me in situations where I did almost witness my own sister take Mm -hmm. my mom's life. Um, I ended up going through a set of very challenging circumstances of sometimes not having a place to sleep, not knowing where my next meal is going to come from. In fact, I can still recall the day when I was living at my sister's apartment and she was sitting by the window with our last bowl of food for the day, last bowl of rice. 
And I remember I walked into the kitchen crying because I was hungry. She turned around and she started crying and she handed me that last bowl. So I can, re- I can pinpoint every one of those moments that happened in my life. And I ended up living that life for about five years until I was nine years old. And that's when I decided to take a different trajectory with my life and actually relinquish mm. my parents' rights. So as a nine-year-old kid, I gave up my parents' rights and I became the ward of the state. And I went into an orphanage from nine to 12, which was a very difficult environment to accept at the beginning because prior to going into it, I was told that I would have friends to play with, toys, almost like a second family as far as the caregivers and everyone that worked a part of it. And to a degree that might've been true, but I'll also tell you this, that there were so many instances where I've faced moments of physical and mental abuse that I just don't think were necessary. I think there were other ways that they could have taught us discipline instead of using those particular techniques. So I ended up living there for three years And part of that journey, one of the things that we were required to do, in fact, all the orphans were, was to be somehow involved within a form of music. So whether it was playing, playing the piano, dancing, singing, it just had to be relevant to that field. And you had to do it for about half an hour to an hour a day with a music teacher that was hired by the orphanage. And so I started to take these lessons and I had naturally gravitated towards folk singing. I don't, I don't know why I had no one in my family that did that. But after a couple weeks to a couple months, I noticed that there was something that there was a hidden talent. And I think my teacher saw the same exact thing. And so we started to work on it together and she would actually write and compose on the side. And slowly I began to notice this, these small classroom lessons transform into me performing at openings of zoos, competing amongst other schools and orphanages, and then ultimately receiving that invitation from an adoption agency called Hands Across the Water in Ann Arbor, Michigan, saying, if you guys can put together a group of kids we will fly you to the United States. You'll perform in some of the local churches where a lot of the future adoptive parents will be in attendance. And then hopefully the adoption process will start. So it was, it was a very interesting journey as far as what led me here. And the reason why I shared that particular story with you is to, and for anyone that's listening, is to really sh- emphasize the importance of it's not about what I was born into, but it's about where I'm going with all that information. How old are you now? 26. Okay. What is your interpretation of the experience that you had now at 26, which I think you kind of more or less gave to me, Mm -hmm. but how was it different Um, when you were that age, like what was your understanding of it? What did it mean to you when it was happening? Because, you know, being 12 and being 26 or being nine and being 26 (laughs) are two wildly different times in our lives, Slightly, especially because Mm -hmm. of what's going on in the brain. Mm -hmm. I, I think for me, the biggest difference that I can recall is right now, my ability to reframe a lot of the events and circumstances into the way that I choose to look at them. What I mean by that was, I think when I was younger, I lived a lot more in the moment and I might have, not even might have, but probably have allowed a lot of those, especially traumatic experiences, define my time and define who I was. Mm -hmm. Now I'm realizing that I can look at all of it differently. I I can pick and choose how I look at any one of those experiences and which elements that I choose to carry on with it. And the reason why I believe that is I firmly believe there's a lesson within every one of the experiences that I've had in my life. 
So the question that you posed to me earlier, as far as how I think of my mom, my birth mom, and her giving me up, part of me is grateful and I, and I accept that moment and her decision for having to do that. And the reason why is because for the longest time prior to I started to listening to your podcast, maybe even two or three years before that, I used to blame her for a lot of the decisions that she made. And I used to blame her for the fact that she might have been the reason why our family fell apart. But recently, I started to look at it differently, and I started to look at the skills that she taught me. One of the skills that I firmly believe started with her, and it was something that was not spoken to me, but it was my ability to be persistent, to be driven. Because I can, I can recall the times where I had to go out on the street and look for her at whichever apartment she was at at that particular moment. and. The message that I told myself that if I only go to one more place, just one more apartment, she might be there. Sure, I came up short 9 out of 10, but I continued to tell myself that if I just push one step farther every single day, I mean, it's, it's part of who I am now. I firmly believe in the fact that there's no obstacle that you can't overcome. I firmly believe in the fact that as long as there is a will, there is a way. The one no that you might have received, it's not the ultimate no. It just means that A, you either haven't found the path to get there, or B, you haven't had a chance to speak with the right person. Hmm. Have you been in touch with your sister at all ever? I have. It's a difficult relationship. The story there is that when I came to the States, because of the fact that I couldn't speak English well for a year, maybe two years, I, I remember for the first year at least, I used to pick up the landline. This was 2004, 2005. I would pick up our landline and I would call Russia. And you could probably imagine how expensive some of those calls got <laughs> after, after a while. And I remember one time my dad came up to my room and he had mentioned something that I should look or we should look at other ways for me to stay in touch with people there. And what he proposed was using the, the tools such as Skype, FaceTime and whatever else that was available at that particular time. Now, I completely misunderstood what he said. And so for six years after that, I did not make a mm. single phone call to anyone. I didn't send a single message. I didn't send a single letter. When I reconnected with her six years later, she had shared the fact that our mom passed away in an apartment fire. What's interesting about that particular story and that particular moment was I look back at my childhood and I look back at all the pictures that my sister had shared with me and everything that I was able to take after leaving the orphanage. I have hundreds and hundreds of pictures of everyone there. I have hundreds of pictures of being with my sister and my cousins and everyone. I only have one picture of my mom. And it's two weeks prior to me being adopted, she came to visit me at the orphanage. And if you look at it closely, I firmly believe that you can see the past, the present, and the future. On the table is one of those uh, alphabets where you pick up the letter and it says A, apple, B, banana. And behind it was my orphanage bed, and in front of it, in front of it was her. So... I, I firmly believe that everything happens for a reason. And I think in that particular case, it, it really helps me realize and understand that a mess, a picture can speak a thousand words. So 
my contact with my sister is, I do stay in touch with her, but we live in such different worlds. What I mean by that is, I live in the world and I choose to live in this world. I firmly believe that everything is possible. There's always a way that there's always some person you can meet along this journey who can help you achieve whatever it is that you envision. But not everyone believes that. Not everyone thinks that way. And so conveying those messages is difficult sometimes. It's difficult to help her see differently in the situations that she's in. But at the same time, I'm also understanding that maybe that's not my role. My role is not to tell her how to live her life. My role is to live my life to the best of my ability. And as part of it, the people that choose to accept me for who I am, well, those are the people that are meant to be in my life. Mm. So speaking of people who accept you for who you are, uh, Mm -hmm. describe the process to me of building a relationship between parent and child um, when you're a 12-year-old who's adopted. Because <laughs> and for me, I probably will have no concept of that as somebody who has basically been with my birth parents my entire life. I, I mean, you've mm-hmm. had the, what is the contrast? I mean, how does a relationship like that actually form? How does the bond deepen to the point where you refer to them as your mom and dad, uh, particularly when you've gone through so many painful experiences? How do you let your mm-hmm. guard down enough to trust these people and, you know, assume that they have the best in mind for you. Yeah. That's the hardest thing to figure out whether or not they had the best intentions for your life. For me, I was very fortunate to have a brother who was just a little bit older than I was. And so the way that we were treated was relatively the same when it came to the different principles. And some of the biggest differences was I actually just had a conversation with my mom about this recently and she told me how there were some, there were some things that she had allowed me to do but maybe not to my brother and the reason why is because I I came here as a 12-year-old kid so you, one of the hardest things for probably for them to develop was trust as well as for me Because I already had an understanding of my world. I already knew who my parents were or my family. The decision to call them mom and dad came probably within the first, honestly, week to maybe even the first day. And the reason why I chose to call them mom and dad was because I felt that we had developed a strong enough connection And I was able to understand that they truly did have the best of intentions for me, that they were truly there for me no matter what. When I lived at the orphanage, one of the things that we did in order to stay in touch was we exchanged letters, probably on a weekly basis. Um, They used to call me from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it, it gave me additional layer of hope that they really wanted me. And every one of the letters, in fact, they sent me, they always ended it with love, mom, dad, and Ben, who's my brother, or something along those lines. So it, so it, gave, it gave me reassurance that they really wanted me to be a part of their family. The other thing that truly helped me was that the makeup of the remainder of the family, everyone within my family is accepting and welcoming. And so when I came into that family, nothing changed. I still remember my first Christmas. I walked into this house. I might have said five or 10 words. I mean, it was a completely new setting and the concept as well of being able to be with other people who were just giving you gifts all of a sudden. And my uncle came up to me and he gave me a big hug and he said something along the lines of, um, I'm glad to have you here or you are welcome. Welcome to the family. So everyone played a role as far as helping me develop that trust 
And I think because I understood that my environment was so accepting of who I was and supportive that I really just gave it all as far as trusting in my parents and knowing that they're going to do the best that they can for me. Now, with that said, it wasn't always as pretty as I picture it being right now. I can recall times my mom and I would scream at each other to a point where both of us are crying, all due to the fact that we couldn't communicate. For the first year and a half or so, we communicated through a paper dictionary. Now, you also got to understand this. Communicating through a paper dictionary is pretty challenging. Communicating through a paper dictionary as a teenager who is developing himself during a time when you are having an emotional breakdown is not the route that I'm going to take most times. (laughs) So I would throw away the dictionary. I I wouldn't even look at it. In fact, maybe some of the times I would speak back to her in Russian because that's the only way that I can comprehend what was going on. And so her and I will look back at all the memories now, and they're, they're pretty funny now to look at. They weren't so funny back then because we would get each other to a point where I understood her buttons as a parent. She would say, go do this. And I would say, why? Why do I have to do this? Son, could you please empty the dishwasher? Why do I have to do that? So okay. I, I would question everything because I never had this freedom in the years prior, especially when you lived at the orphanage. When you were told to go do something, you go do it and you exceed their expectations. When I lived in this family or when I got into this family, all of a sudden there was some freedom as far as an ability to challenge, talk back, maybe better understand why does it work this way. The tone that I might have asked probably didn't uh, engage any conversation beyond that because it just became why, why, why every single time. And I, I don't know if you've had a chance to be a parent just yet, but just based on my understanding of what my parents had to go through, I mean, that is a challenging journey. And I also think one of the other reasons why it was challenging was because when I was younger, I used to think that, okay, my parents are obviously older than I am. So they must have figured it all out. They must have some sort of blueprint to it all for how to make it happen. But yet the older I got, I realized that, wait, they're just the same exact human being that I am. Just the only difference is age. They're still trying to figure all this out at the same exact time. How do I give the best advice? Where do I help? Where do I stop speaking? But when I was a young kid, I thought that they had it all. I thought that there was their blueprint to it all. Okay, blueprint to parenting. Follow these five steps and then Alex's going to be just fine. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. 
As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hmm. Wow. Describe the contrast uh, of the bond or the relationship between your brother here and your silly mm -hmm. in Russia. What is, how is that different? Hmm. I've never been asked this question before, so I appreciate I've been you doing that to people. <laughs> I, I think the biggest difference that I know between the two is just a, just a difference, honestly, in the relationship. So for the first 12 years, when I was still trying to figure out how to trust, who do I trust? And because I had shared those 12 years or a good portion of them with my sister, I was, I, I didn't really have many opportunities where I could compare myself to myself to other families and other siblings and try and understand, well, this sibling is doing it differently. Therefore my sister needs to improve or things like that. I didn't really have that ability to think at, at a young age, the relationship with my brother is different because I was able to reflect back on my past. It's almost as if I had a foundation to build off of. So I think my expectations were slightly different as far as what it means to have a brother to begin with. Mm -hmm. And also understanding the role and the space that we can be in each other's life. I think it's an evolving process. I think the role that we started with is or it may be different from the role that we choose to be in the next five or 10 years or 20 years. My, my hope is that it will continue to evolve and continue to put us in positions where we understand each other for who we are, where we're there to truly support one another, no matter what it may be. But the, the other thing that I've learned along this journey is that adoption helped me realize the fact that I can choose the family that I want to be a part of. I can choose the people that make up my family. One of my best friends from Ann Arbor, Michigan, his name is Carson. He is like a brother to me, but yet he lives in an entirely different family. Him and I spent so much time together and we really invested in one another as far as understanding who we are and what our goals and what our dreams were and how we can support one another on that journey. So I think it, the biggest difference that I would say between the two is just the levels of trust that I have with each one. And it's not to say that I don't trust my brother. It's just uh, to a, the degree to which I trust him is different compared to my sister. Huh. Wow. Wow. Um, so when you come to uh, a place like America for the first time, what uh, culture shock did you experience? What was funny? What was ridiculous? What was weird? I think one of the first things, and there were a lot of things that I just truly didn't understand. Why do people behave this way? Behave this way? Why do people do this? And going into a school, so the middle school that I was a part of, it didn't really have a traditional setting. When you think of a school, you think of a classroom that has X number of desks, chair behind each one. You have to raise your hand in order to ask a question or go to a bathroom. Maybe this is just Russian style of schooling that I'm describing here. And whenever you speak out of turn, you might get smacked with a ruler. 
I'm, yes, that's most likely Russian. That I, I don't think that's United States. And when when I came here to the states, the school was set up completely different. My sixth grade classroom, I don't even think they had any desks. It was all just couches, couches and and couple tables that people could sit around. So the structure of the classroom alone was completely different. And the difference was that I believe the the setting and the way that the ones in U.S. were set up were much more open when it came to learning because it, I think the intention was to make you feel as comfortable as you can so that way you can really engage with any of the subjects that you're looking to learn. The other thing that I've learned was that you had some freedom as far as the type of classes that you can take. And there was a huge emphasis on putting you in groups and environments and situations when you can really excel. So my sixth grade teacher, his name is Rick Hall. He made an effort for me to find as many friends as I can during my first year. And so he would actually take me, he'd take my hand and just walk me around all the tables within the class. And, and he would say, Evan, meet Oleg. Henry, meet Oleg. Dylan, meet Oleg. To every one of the students. And, and as part of it, it, I mean, it worked. Because then I was able to kind of foster these friendships and I remember going to their, their houses, playing soccer with them and things like that. Now, as part of it, it it's kind of one of those things that it's, it's a blessing and a curse. And the reason why I say that is because in sixth grade, I, one of the kids that I gravitated, gravitated towards as far as a friend also happened to be probably one of the biggest troublemakers within the school. I don't know why I gravitated toward him. I think probably for the same reasons that most of us do. And that is he accepted me and he saw me for who I was and he just gave me a space to be. And so for the next year and a half, maybe two years, I noticed myself ended um, being in the principal's office much more than I thought I would. And, I did, and for the longest time, I didn't really understand why that was happening. Because I thought that the behavior I was mimicking from him was the right way of doing it. But yet what I noticed was that making fun of kids for having acne, the same exact thing that I had at that particular age, probably was not the best thing to do. And so I'd end up at the principal's office weekly, sometimes even more than that. And there were times when the principal would call my parents and we would have this parent-teacher conference. And so when I was in high school, I was very fortunate to be able to understand that, or when I was about to enter high school, I understood that it was a time for me to change my environment. And the way to do that was that I had to go into a school that this other friend of mine didn't go to. Now, there was, there was a slight transition as far as the high school that I chose. It still had some kids who were in the same classes as I was during my middle school years. So they still remembered me as that troublemaker and the bully and everything along those sorts. But it, it gave me a chance to possibly reinvent myself because then it also gave me access to a whole new group of students. And people that that I that I can surround myself with, so it was a journey to really uh, understand this whole concept of what it was like to live in the states and how people act and the whole concept of freedom. I mean, the fact that to a degree you can truly say anything you want, anything that's on your mind, and nothing happens to you. Once again, to a degree you. Obviously, you can't say certain things at an airport or restaurants or things like that that um, may put other people in, in lives in jeopardy. But the fact that you can literally start a blog and just share who you are, share all your feelings, that was unheard of to me. 
And so fast forward, when I transitioned into starting the work that we began to do with this community and this organization called Overcoming Odds, you were one of the first podcasts that I listened to on a daily basis. And your shows in particular, as I was mentioning to you, the episodes such as the ones that you had with Chase Jarvis very early on, it had an impact on me because it showed me that other people are doing it. Other people are living their story and they're able to find ways to also turn that into a lifestyle. So that's when I've really begun to invest in myself and try and understand as much of my experience as possible. And it led me to, as I mentioned earlier, watching I'm Not Your Guru two or three times in a row, cried every single one of those times, and then reading Think and Grow Rich and all these other books. And it, it was really you guys that helped me develop courage to step into who I can be and and find ways to share my story. And what it led me to do was to share it through a two to three page blog post. That's all it was at the time. I, I named it Overcoming Odds. And then within days of doing that, hundreds of people started to reach out and said, hey, me too. I was adopted out of Romania. I was adopted out of China, Japan, Ukraine. And here's my story. And that's where I realized that this space that I had created, my story was not for me. My story was for other people to see their own stories. I firmly believe that we're all reflections of one another if we choose to look at each other that way. So when we created this space for people to just process their own existence, that's when I began to realize the true value of providing a space for someone else to be seen. I mean, if you really think about it, how this is, in my opinion, how today's world works is that you go into a grocery store and or or a Starbucks, and by the time you order that place that order, it's already done. There's no room for conversation. And there's no room, certainly no room for you to discuss what you may be going through. But yet, those are the more important topics that we got to dig deeper into because they really affect everything around our lives, our decision making moving forward. If you're constantly in stress and you have no way to process it, well, that's the life you're going to live. So I, I appreciate you for doing what you do as far as not only choosing to pick a very diverse group of guests, but also acknowledging the fact that we all have a story to tell at the end of the day. At the end of the day. You don't have to be a celebrity to understand that your journey is unique. I mean, literally, everyone that's listening, no one has walked your exact footsteps. The path that you took to becoming whoever it is that you are is entirely different. And that's, I think, what my goal and what I truly stand for is being able to live this life as I define it to be authentic based on my own experiences and to hopefully show people and, and instill enough hope in them that they can do the same thing. That your past doesn't have to define your present or your future. That you have a choice in how you look at all of those instances. And you have a choice in understanding how you're going to carry those instances with you if you choose to do that. So I think, as I was saying, I think earlier in conversation, to me, mm -hmm. it's, it's always incredibly rewarding when somebody takes the work that I've done and goes out and does what you've done with it. And I think any of us who create will say the same thing. I'm sure that you feel that way about the people who do mm -hmm. the, your work. Uh, and I wonder, and I've asked multiple people some version of this question, why is it that some people will just consume and consume and consume and consume and it leads nowhere. Uh, they don't do anything with the information that they've consumed. It just kind of uh, 
you know, I call it a spiritual band-aid, I guess, is one way of looking at it. <laughs> I think the the way that I would answer that is because they don't have the courage or they haven't developed the courage to act upon that information. And what I mean by that is courage takes time. You have to have certain experiences in my life that have really helped me understand that I am a courageous human being. So recognizing the fact that because I'm courageous and I'm willing to act upon it is the first step of it all. The other part is I can definitely relate to people who are living those lives because I've lived that life before where all I did was consume. I didn't know what steps to take. And the other thing was, and this is a trap for anyone that's listening, is thinking that there's going to be this perfect time for you to start. Oh, I'll start tomorrow. Just one more book. I'll start next year. One more course. One more speaker I have to listen to. Really, the key to it all is just starting where you are and learning as you go. I think it was Guy Kawasaki that gave a TED Talk one time at Berkeley, and he said it, it was on the concept of the art of the start and how just everything just begins with a start. That's all there is. And then you figure it out as you go. But I think what ends up happening is that we try to figure it all out before we take any action. Because we want to prevent certain elements of quote-unquote failure. We may not, and, and if you think about it that way, I view failure as an opportunity to learn. I don't view failure as the traditional definition of that particular word. So when you quote-unquote fail in today's society, people start to look at you differently. And when people look at you differently, you don't want to take similar actions again. You don't want to keep trying. You don't want to try new things because you quote-unquote failed doing that already. So you don't want to continue to possibly recreate your network and people who are part of your tribe. So you stick to the same thing. So if I were to answer that, I would truly say that it boils down to having enough courage to start. And trust me, I've been in situations where I had to rely on certain people when it came to resources, finances, whatever it may be, because some, not even sometimes, most of the time, you just don't know what life is going to throw at you. And every day, in my opinion, is a whole new set of challenges. So every day we wake up and we have to figure it out. Asking someone for help, especially when it comes to finances, for me, it was one of the most difficult things I had to do. But I also understood that if I wasn't going to do that, that it was going to hinder the rest of my life. And it was going to impact all of these other areas. So how do I break through that? I just ask. I stop assuming about what other people may think of me once I pose and ask like that. In fact, what I begin to do is... Part of me creating a tribe or a group of people that I truly know are there for me no matter what is understanding how far they're willing to go in supporting me and vice versa. Understanding how far I'm willing to go in supporting them. And that's kind of what I'm learning throughout life is that it's a huge component of living on this planet is having a strong enough support group and a, and a network of people who are truly there for you. So what, what a way to test it who's really there for you than to ask them for help when you need it the most. Wow. Um, I think that makes a very uh, fitting uh, mm -hmm. to our conversation. Uh, so I want to finish with my final question, which obviously you've heard me ask. What do you think it is? that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think what makes somebody unmistakable 
And as, as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking of all of the, the thousands of responses that I've heard <laughs> from this particular show. Yeah. But, you know, it, it boils back to relating into my own experience, and that is really choosing to live a life that's true to who you are. What I mean by that is learning to accept yourself for who you are, learning to accept yourself for all the decisions that you've made. I don't believe there's a good and a bad. I believe there just is. All of the decisions had to happen the way they did in order for me to be who I am today. Mm -hmm. So embracing my whole journey makes the most sense. And that's where I think what I see throughout a lot of the work that we do is we think that we have to please someone else. We think that we have to live our life according to someone else's standards, according to someone else's terms. But really, I think the world would be significantly different had we chose the option to live our lives according to mm -hmm. our own standards, according to what we choose to stand for. Because then I think that's where we can really add value to one another. That's when we can really encourage one another to go after our wildest dreams. And I definitely think that there's a change happening as far as I think there are more and more people that are choosing to live a life like that, where they're stepping into their purest selves and not really caring about what others may think of them. And I think that's the best version that we can be, is really just the courage to be us. Amazing. Uh, well, I am so glad you wrote in and uh, that I've gotten to learn more about you and your story. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and uh, everything that you're up to? Mm -hmm. The best way to do so will be through our website, and that is overcomingodds.today. In addition to that, I'm sure people can find us through almost every single social media platform that exists. Well, let me put it that way, that, because that's not entirely true. I would say Facebook, Instagram, Twitter are the traditional methods to find us. And as part of it, what I mentioned earlier, some of the work that we do is that for anyone that's looking for a space to not only see other people's stories and their own journeys, but also be able to share their own story and the difficulties and the challenges that they might have had to go through in life. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do with a lot, of the, a lot of this work is create that space. And so people can engage through it with many different formats. One is being able to share their story through our online portion or just like you have it. There's a podcast that interviews people on a weekly basis who have faced um, unique life circumstances and, were, and found ways to overcome or work through them. So that's really the best ways that people can get in touch with us. And as part of it, I'm an open book. So if anyone wants to connect through LinkedIn, I'm happy to talk. I'm, I'm happy to share what I've been through and how I have been able to figure out certain things within my life. And if there's ever a way that I can help you, I'll do my best to do so. Amazing. Well, um, that uh, I think really makes a perfect way to wrap. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. 
We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.